0: Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. Just that song we were singing, God of the mountains is God of the valleys. So God of the good times, God of the bad times, which we're going to be talking about this morning. Go ahead and turn to uh, in your Bibles to Esther, It's Old Testament uh, real-life story that we're going to be looking at. It's page 512. If you've used the Bible there in the chairs. I do that every time when I say that, don't I? If you use the Bibles in the chairs, I kind of... Um, but as you do, uh, I just I want to make a couple big announcements because uh, sometimes it's just like you can make announcements and send out emails and put things up on PowerPoint, but boy, when the pastor announces something, everyone ears are up and they're like, oh, what's he going to say? What's important to him? So <laughs> we, uh, we got our Connect class coming up. Next Sunday, so this is a class if you want to find out more about who we are, what we do, why we do what we do. Um, it's also, if you're interested in membership, you take that class as well. So it's next Sunday, and it's after the, this service, and uh, there's lunch provided, child care is provided. And I was, I was also thinking about this, some of you guys have been attending here for a while. We're going to be five years old in March. Um, and some of you guys have been attending for a while, and you haven't taken that class. And, I, and I'm not pressuring you or anything, but what's the deal? <laughs> um, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm pointing many fingers. Um, no, I'm just saying. So, if you haven't taken a class, you've been here for a while, man. Come join. You know, if nothing else, you get a free lunch. Uh, you can ask questions about our church and what's going on. And also, we have the party, the greatest event of the year. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm yeah, pretty woo, pretty excited about that. So uh, we're going to go over here to the bowling alley. We're renting out the entire place. It'll just be our church uh, family there. And the the plan there is just to go and hang out for a couple hours as a church. You know, we've got a 9 o'clock. We've got a 1030. Not everybody sees each other. So we're just going to go over there, Petty Joe's, hang out. You can bowl if you want to bowl. You don't have to bowl. I don't plan on bowling. If I do that, I'm probably going to snap in half, and that'll be embarrassing. So I plan on going there to eat. Uh, so there'll be food there, and, uh, you know, maybe some people bring some other games or something, but uh, just come hang out. If you can't stay for two hours, that's fine, you know, come for, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes, get something to eat, hang out, say hi. Um, how do you register, Harold? Okay, you can see it on your face, you're like, how can we let you know we're coming? Well, if you grab your phone, and if you have your Church Center app, if you don't have this app, ask one of us, we'll help you get that on your phone, it's very, very easy, but if you Turn on your phone. Hit the church center app. Ding. And then you go over to sign ups. Ding. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, is, child for
1: yeah, is child
0: care for, for Bill? Yeah. And then, child um, And then you go to the Northwood campus. Ding. And there's all the things that are going on up through February. Um, so connect class. You can register for it there. And then... The party you can register for that there. We also got the grow class coming up in February. You can be a part of that. We'll talk more about that. But anyways, so feel free to do that. You can register like right now. I'll know because I'll get an email if you do. Um, someone in the nine o'clock did that as I was going along. I was on ding, you know, get a notification. Anyways, just want to encourage you guys to. I would love it. You know, we've got like you know 230 people in our church total. I would love it if everybody would show up for at least a little bit of that. You know, just come out, hang out. Um, it's just going to be a good time. It'll be fun. We've never done something like this before. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be a good time. Anyways, so we're looking at this truth for life that we see throughout the Bible. We definitely see in Esther that it's, just, it's, it's true in our lives today. It's really seen in the book of Esther because there's no miracles here. There's no even reference of God It's just people making choices and God working. We call it God's providence. So there's this Jewish orphan girl who becomes queen of Persia. It's an actual real story. It's not the knight with the king or whatever that story is that people people referencing Oh, thank you. Jen Cannon. All right. Way to go, Jenny. Way to go. Appreciate that. Love that. Oh, wait, you declined going. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) What? Why are you doing that? So the truth for life is that God uses our earthly decisions, our daily decisions. I was going to say daily, but earthly, eternal, you know, so I'm sick with these. Our earthly decisions to accomplish his eternal plans. Can that just kind of sink into our heads for a moment? The decisions that we make, just our little decisions. I mean, who are we? (laughs) We're all kind of messed up people. And yet, us making decisions, even sometimes it's a decision, not sure if it was a good one, or it was definitely not a good one. God can still overcome all that, and will overcome all that, to accomplish his eternal plans. That just, I, I don't know about you guys, that just kind of blows my mind to think about that that's what God's doing. So Dr. A.W. Tozer, he, uh, he uses this as an illustration, so that might be helpful. It's as if a ship is leaving from New York and going to, New, or going to England. So it's going to cross the pond. And so as they're crossing over, that ship is going from America to, to England. Everybody else on that, everybody on that ship, they can do whatever they want to do. But it's not going to affect, I mean, as long as they don't blow the ship up. They're just making decisions, doing their thing on the ship. It's going to go from America to England, and nobody can stop it. So it's kind of like the providence of God, the working of God. So here's one of his quotes. He says, the mighty liner of God's sovereign design, which we're talking about providence, keeps its steady course over the sea of history. God moves undisturbed, I love this, undisturbed and unhindered, toward the fulfillment of those eternal purposes which he purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. So God is working in our earthly decisions to accomplish his eternal plans. And we've talked about what those things are. But before we get there, I need you, look, look at me. You know, Look this way. Now, we need to talk. This is now. This is a good thing. So don't get you're not being pulled into the principal's office in large mass. This is a good thing. But here's something I've talked about this before. and I just feel like right today, this week, after what's happened this week, I kind of feel like I need to say this again. Uh, you know, we we so we're teaching on this truth, this truth for life, for instance. And then inevitably, what happens is I'll get you know some phone calls or emails or texts, or somebody will stop in at the church. and You're like pastor. Pastor. life's falling apart I, I, it's just everything is of course not everything is, but in their minds it's like man everything is just messed up people have done this they made this decision it's messing me up here and they're doing this and they're saying this and then, then I do this it's just, it's just a mess oh, I just need some advice what do I do what, what do I do and, and I'm sitting there and, and I you know I'm i'm very spiritually mature, you know, and so so I handle this well, even in my own heart. I handle this very well, and i 'm like, What in the world didn't they not listen to me on sunday you know i mean i i mean i I go god lord it's it's really interesting because we 'll be talking about a topic, and i don 't know if there's a disconnect or we just get going in life and and i'm just like hey did, You are here Sunday, right? Yeah. Did you listen to the message? (laughs) No, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just asking the question, did you listen to the message? Some of you guys are going through stuff right now. You need to grab hold of this truth. I'm not just up here, and I joke about, you know, I get paid by the word. That's a joke. I'm I'm up here because I want to give you guys what God's word says for us to then implement in our lives and then see God do what he's going to do. So take notes. I've noticed there are some people who use their phones and they take pictures of the slides. I'm fine with that. If, I get, if I'm in a picture, you know, I want, to get, I want to make sure I look good. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't do this. Don't take this. What's that, what's that square box doing up there? You know? Square box with something round on top. And then do the takeaways. You know, these masterfully worded takeaways that I put up there for you guys. Do the takeaways. Watch God do what he's going to do in and through you. We, we've been talking about what these eternal plans are that God has for us as Christians. We've talked about what israel's going through what the eternal plans are there but god's doing something in us i'm gonna have stan come up but as he comes up this is we've talked about it so this is what god's eternal plan is for us that he wants to use our experiences our decisions our situations in our lives in order to grow us to become more like jesus to to grow spiritually spiritual maturity it's again several different ways we express it and then through us draw people to Christ so I, I've asked Dan to come up because something neat has happened he's had several kind of neat things he and Becky have had some neat things happen in their lives and along with those neat things some very frustrating things because they're they're responding to people's needs so sometimes it's exciting and sometimes it's frustrating and they're experiencing both sides of it I'm not having him up here to you know raise him up so we can chop him down I'm just I just thought, wow, he called me yesterday morning with something, and I'm like, that's this. So I told him to keep it short and keep the mic, keep the mic up to your lips because you get, you know, you start fiddling. You need your hand. You want me to hold it? No, I got it. Because <laughs> I'll just come around you. <laughs> I'm staying up here in case he goes long.
1: Well, um, yesterday morning... Well, let me backtrack. Uh, My sister, who I I really don't talk to that much, recently went into a recovery house for, I don't know how many times. And so she she was texting me back, and yesterday I felt the need to call her just to talk to her. And she was sharing with me that um, it got pretty rough and Narcan didn't save her and they had to put a paddle or something on her to bring her back and so she was just sharing with me her fear of dying and so the conversation just kept going and then I asked her what she was afraid of and where she was going and she said I'm going to heaven and I said Angel why are you going there and she said because God saved me um, from death and I through more talking I said God saved you from that so that you had a chance to accept him. And uh, so we talked about what life looked like and um, one thing led to another and she accepted Christ. And so my sister, who I have very little relation with and I kind of marked off as being gone and never to see again, it was pretty cool to be able to to guide her in God's truth. Um. Yeah, that's good. So
0: that's Caleb's mom. Uh, Caleb accepted Christ just a couple months ago. Um, yeah, so... <clears throat> and again, so the reason why I'm bringing this up is... Um, I, I guess, I, you know, I say I don't want to lift Stan and Becky up, but in a sense, I do. Um... I want to see our church family doing this man they are such an encouragement to me they moved from bellevue up here um because they felt like god's wanting to do that and again you know i never want to raise people up in that sense but i do want everybody to take that example i know stan gets passionate about stuff and just understand he gets passionate he's not irritated and frustrated and angry at people he's passionate about what's going on he's He's freaking out. They're like, what is going on? And they're putting a lot of time and effort into people. Some of them take the help. Some of them don't. But they're still going forward, doing life God's way, making decisions as best they know how how they think God wants them to do it, and then God is using them. And people are coming to Christ. And Stan got the opportunity to lead his sister to the Lord. I don't care that I didn't do that. I'm excited for him, for his family, and for what God's going to do on both sides of the family. Confident of that. And there's other stories of God doing stuff. I mean, talk talked to Pat Ibera. There's other stories. But my point is, you guys, listen. This whole Christianity thing, so much more than what you guys think it is oftentimes, than I often think what it is. And so, yeah, I get the opportunity to share the gospel and people raise their hands and sometimes I get to connect with them, sometimes I don't. Man, you guys can have those conversations with people. There's nothing like it. It's the best thing. So God's working his eternal plans through us. i got to get going. <laughs> the second thing about this is that God's eternal plans take time. God doesn't often use miracles and just... Fixed situations. Fixed relationships. Okay, it, it takes time. We have to understand it takes time. Esther, these going from chapter to chapter, it's taking time. Years. Your relationships, your situations, the experiences that we go through, God is using those, but it takes time. We've got to sit back and, and let God do what He's going to do. And then, I'm just giving you a heads up. This is going to be a takeaway. Okay, you're going to hear this again. It's going to be a takeaway for you to take away with you. See how that works? That's what we do. It's a little takeaway thing and say, oh, take that with me into this week. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit hyped up. I'm not sure why. Um, God uses the decisions of non believers to accomplish his eternal plans. Or he can work around their decisions, or he can, whatever you want to say. But the point is, there are people in your life and in my life who may not even be Christians, and they're making decisions that negatively impact our lives. God isn't freaking out, so we don't need to freak out. God knows exactly what's going on. There's no need for us to go. So and so said this or you know we don't have to do it. I'm sorry. I don't sometimes I'm thinking stuff. maybe I shouldn't say it the way I said. I don't I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just that's what we do. And I do it. And so but God uses God uses those. He, he operates in that. He he can do it. All right. So let's continue on with Esther. See what God has for us. So now Esther's been queen, chapter 2, we're jumping into chapter 3. You don't see it, but there's actually a space of about four years between Mordecai saving the king and what's going to transpire here. So Esther's been the queen for four years. Mordecai is a hero. Life's good. Israel is in a good spot when it comes to being under the Persian king. What could go wrong? (laughs) You know, just like our lives Things are going along nice and easy And then what happens? Boom! Something Train wreck Something happens We freak So here's what happens After these events Again, four years after Esther was made queen King Ahasuerus promoted Haman You know Haman The son of Habadatha, The Agagite that's hard to say. And advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. So he is, it's the king and it's Haman. Whatever Haman says, goes. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command?" You could die. Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand. What was his reason? He told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom for Hesorahs. Who in the world is Haman? He's not listed anywhere in Esther 1 and 2. This guy comes out of thin air and gets promoted to the number two power man in Persia. What do you think Mordecai might be thinking? Why didn't, why didn't I get promoted? I'm, I saved the king's life. How does this work to this guy? A nobody, at least we don't know who he is, other than how he's described. So, you know, how unfair. So he gets promoted. And Mordecai says, I'm not bound. So, what's the deal? What's the conflict here? Because it's kind of interesting. <laughs> when Esther was taken as into the harem prior to becoming queen, you know we talked about this. He didn't seem to stop it. He could have said, "No, I'm Jewish, and Jewish people aren't, to, according to God, aren't to marry non-Jewish people." But he doesn't there. But now all of a sudden bowing to a guy. I mean, what's bowing? You know, eh. I do it to some of you guys when you walk in. I'm like, ooh, you know, what's the big deal? So we talked about this in week one. I'm going to try to make this fast. Haman is a descendant of King Agag. That's why he's an Agagite. <laughs> it's really hard to say. Um, but he's, he's a descendant of King Agag, Agag <laughs> of the Amalekites. Man, we'll just call him A or Gag. Um, so he's a descendant of the Amalekites. The Amalekites, as Israel was coming out of Egypt after they were freed, the Amalekites attacked Israel. And judges, after they're in the land, um, they would have raiding parties from the nations around them. And the Amalekites would raid Israel and take their stuff. And then when King Saul became the king, King Agag was the king of the Amalekites. And so for years, hundreds of years, the Amalekites have been a thorn in Israel's flesh. And, so, and they are not doing life God's way, and so God decided, I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to use Israel to judge you. And so he told King Saul, hey, I need you to wipe out the Amalekites. And when you do that, nobody is to stay alive. And all their possessions, get rid of them. I don't want you to take any of their possessions. I want nothing of the Amalekites within Israel. So King Saul, being the guy that he was, he's like, actually, I'll keep the king alive. He's negotiating, I guess. He keeps the king alive. So they wipe out the Amalekites, keeps the king alive and then takes all their possessions and hoards them. And so when he was confronted of it, he said, well, I just want to do this as kind of an offering to God. And so Samuel's like, no, God wants obedience. He doesn't want sin and sacrifice. He wants obedience. And so then God, in his providence, working over time, removes King Saul and puts in King David. And so the servants are asking Mordecai, hey, man, this is happening day in and day out. One of these days, Haman's actually going to see you. Why are you not bowing? And he says, well, I'm I'm Jewish, and I'm not going to bow to him. He's an Amalekite. And so then they go to Haman going, hey, hey, uh, is this this true? Jews don't have to bow to you? And he's like, no, what do you mean? Well, Mordecai's a Jew, and he's not bowing to you. So now here's Haman, an Amalekite. And he has a plan. And his plan is, I'm not just going to kill Mordecai. I'm going to make sure that all of Israel's sworn enemy is put to death, the entire nation. And so they, they perform the pur, P-U-R, which just means casting of lots. And again, we talked about it the first week. Israel celebrates the festival of Purim. It's a, it's a festival celebrating what God does here in Esther, not giving anything away. Uh, but if you're reading, you already know. But it's beside the point. And so it's a casting of the lots, and so they're gonna they're gonna go 365 times. They're gonna cast the lots to find the best day that the gods that they worshipped would say, "What's the best day to kill off all of Israel?" Now, interesting, this verse came to my mind this week. So Proverbs 16. Yep. There you go. There. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Isn't that cool? In fact, it's I was kind of maybe going to take this track at one point. You go through Esther, there's certain proverbs that come to light in Esther. So I was going to use that, but I decided not to. But there's one proverb came to mind. And so, yeah, so you can cast lots all you want. You can make all the decisions you want to do off those casting of lots. And that just means they, they had a bunch of stones and one of them's colored and and, you know, they picked, oh, that must be the wrong. But God's ultimately going to make the decision on how he's going to work in and through that. So then, after coming up with this, this date, he goes to the king, and he's, he kind of goes to him, with, and he's withholding information initially. He says, a certain people, king, a certain people are not obeying you. They don't obey what you say to do. Now, a certain people, why not say the Jewish people? Well, I mean, it could be the fact that the king knows now that Esther is Jewish or he did find out that she was Jewish. He would say, no, 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 because that means I would have to kill Esther as well. And I love Esther, and I don't want to do that. We don't know. But he says, a certain people who disobey your laws, that's a lie. It's just Mordecai. As far as we know, it's just Mordecai doing this, but he's getting the the king kind of all worked up about this. And then he bribes the king. He says, you know, if you let me do this, I'll give 10,000 talents of silver to your treasury. And we talked about last week, right, how the Persians, you know, they love to flaunt their wealth and all that kind of stuff. So the king's like, hmm, I can get some money. Well, how much is that? According to Herodotus, uh, a Greek historian who knew about this time and lived, I think, a little after this time, he said it would have been two-thirds of what the king would normally pull in in a year. So two-thirds, that's quite a bit of... Of his money that he's getting, and and I looked this up. So if I'm wrong, blame Google. But today, in today's money, using silver, it would have been over 204 million dollars that he would have been given. Where's is, where's is Haman going to get this money from? From the Jews? Wipe out all the Jews? What do you have? All their possessions, all their gold, all their silver, and whatever else was valuable. And so he's thinking, hey, we kill them. You can here, king, just kill the Jews, and you take the money. So the king loves that idea, brings in the scribes. Scribes write it down that on Adar 13, that's the month is Adar, Adar 13, all the people were to join in on killing all the Jewish people. It says young and old. Women and children. Neighbor on neighbor. And nobody would disobey that because if they did, then they would be killed. So they set the date. Interesting that they choose a date that's almost a year from when this is happening. Why? Why not have the guys jump on their horses and they have the Pony Express you know, planned and they have nailed down? And so have them get on their horses and run as, and ride as far as they need to do and, and get the word out, however long that took, two weeks, three weeks, I don't know. However long that took, and then have that be the day. Why several more months, almost a year? Well, I, I don't know. Other than God's providence, God working in these details, God working his eternal plans, over time, for his purposes. So it says that once the riders took off, then Haman and, king, and the king they went off and they celebrated. They sat and drank together, and Susa was in confusion. That word confusion means to be to kind of I don't I don't know what I'm going to do what do we do? I don't know what I'm going to do. And so Susa as a a city, not just the Jewish people, but everybody, they're finding out that they're going to need to kill a group of people. They themselves, you, like if you and I were Persians, we would be going to our neighbors who are Jewish and we would kill them. And they're all up and why would he want to do this? What is going on? And we, again, we don't know how much is known about Esther being a Jewish person by now. And we know information is being shared and we know how that can get passed out really quickly, even if it's in the in the palace, what would the Jews do? What, imagine being in their shoes, knowing that several months from now, well, a year from now, well, we're going to die. Man, that would be rough. And so from the best of days to way beyond the worst of days in a span of four years or even shorter. And so here's how Mordecai and the Jewish people responded to this. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. And so, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, it's a Actually, into the New Testament, it's just a way for them to show how upset they are and even has a sign of repentance to it and, and they're, they're sad and they're scared and they're just kind of, and we're assumed they're coming before God and going, God, help us. Mordecai especially, because it's his decision that's causing the death of all the Jewish people. Some say the estimates of 15 million people We're going to lose their lives because of a decision that Mordecai made. Good or bad decision, this was going to play out. Would God be able to handle this? Is God going to be able to protect? Would God even want to? He says he wails loudly and bitterly. It means from the moment he left his home to the moment he got before the king's gate, he was crying and wailing and Everybody knew something was up with Mordecai. And those who knew he was Jewish obviously knew what was going on. And the, and the response of the Jews throughout the, the empire was the same thing. As they hear the news, as you almost kind of see this little domino effect. As the horses rode, the couriers were bringing the information, just wailing, wailing, wailing all the way out into what is, like we said, present-day Bulgaria. Esther, she evidently isn't aware of the edict, which makes perfect sense because he was off in another palace, kind of, you know, in a bubble. So she's told about her cousin's situation, what he's doing. He's at the king's gate. If he goes into the king's gate, the king will kill him because no one is to mourn inside the palace. And so she's freaking out. She's, it says that she's in anguish. Again, she doesn't know about the Jewish thing. She's concerned that Mordecai upset about something, but she's concerned about his life, and she's like, "Oh!" So she sends her uh, one of her guys out, and she, his name is um, Hedekh, and Hedekh. and so he goes running out there, and he says, "What's going on? Here's some clothes. Put these on." In other words, and why that is is because she's thinking, "Well, okay, if he's upset about something, the Persian people were very good at." When people are upset, they give them gifts and try to make them happier. But also put these clothes on because you're, you're sitting there in sackcloth and ashes. If the king sees that, he's going to kill you. So get some nicer clothes on. So she does that. Mordecai returns the clothes. So Hathak, he's <laughs> runs back to Esther. And she's like, what? He didn't want? No. He, he wants you to do some things. There's There's some things going on here. There's an edict that happened, and they're going to kill the Jews. And so Mordecai tells Hathic, you tell the queen that she needs to plead for me or for her people. Her people. So now that Hathic's like, wait, you're Jewish? Her people? Wait, she's Jewish? And so then he runs back with that information. This guy was in really good shape. And so then he tells her about the edict that the Jews are going to be killed. And this is what Esther says back to Mordecai. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, means king says come here, he has, not, uh, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And by the way, I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. So Esther's like, wait a second. You want me to go into the king without him asking me to come into his presence? That's death. Because that's for anybody. It doesn't matter if she's queen or not. And by the way, I don't think he would even summon me if you're thinking that he might summon me. He hasn't done it for 30 days. I haven't interacted with the king at all. So then Mordecai challenges his cousin with these well-known words. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance, this is kind of neat, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews. So it sounds like Mordecai might think you know, okay, no, God's going to deliver us. We'll rise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. Now, when he says your father's house, who is her father's house? Mordecai. So he doesn't think, even if God delivers Israel, those two are not going to be delivered. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. It's one of the big phrases that come out of the bible people use it all the time for such a time is this so he reminds her listen you're a jewish you're jewish you're you're going to die in this situation one way or another you're going to die if you don't go to the king you're going to die if you do go to the king you might die again he it looks like he thinks israel's going to be delivered but he probably won't and neither will she cuz they'll take his whole family And so he speaks to God's providence. For such a time as this, God has placed you in this position for this, for deliverance of our people. And this is what Esther says in return. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, so they ran back. (laughs) Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, by the way, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. She goes, hey, go fast, get all the Jews to fast and pray. We'll do the same here in the palace. And in three days, if she's got time, right? (laughs) Not going to be for several months. She'll go to the king, and if she dies, she died. She's kind of committed herself to do this. So is God powerful enough to overcome it? Can God do what needs to be done to protect Israel, which is an eternal plan of his, to protect Israel so that the God the Son could come, Jesus Christ? You'll have to come back next week for that. So you might be reading ahead, which is good, but you'll have to come back and find out what happens. So for us, what are, the, what are the takeaways, right? What are the things that we're going to take away with us as we head into our lives? God works through our earthly decisions to accomplish his eternal plans. So let me ask you some questions before I hit the takeaways. What situation has God allowed you to find yourself in? You're in a situation. It's on your heart and your mind. You may even be frustrated and irritated by it. You may be confused by it. You may be walking around, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Have other people's decisions had a negative impact in your life? Are you sitting where you're sitting because somebody else made that decision for you? And you're, I don't know. I don't know what I'm to do. I don't know how to move forward. Do you believe God can overcome those people's decision? So how does God want to use your earthly decisions to accomplish his eternal plans of making you, through those situations, through those relationships, more like Jesus... And through you, draw them to him for salvation. So as the band comes up, whatever your situation, here's some things to take with you as you leave today. And then as soon as everything starts crushing down on you, you return to these takeaways. God's word, the takeaways. All right. So the first one, I told you this one was coming. God uses the decisions of non-believers to accomplish his eternal plans. So if you're in that kind of situation, God can work in that situation. God is going to work in that situation one way or another. They're not able to hinder God's plans. They're not able to... They can't keep him from making you more like Jesus. In fact, he's probably using their response to you to help you become more like Jesus. Not fun. You're not going, yeah, I cannot wait to deal with this person. No, I mean, it's not fun, but God's going to use it to make you become more like Jesus. And you may be drawing them to Christ for salvation, which would be awesome. No matter what the pain, no matter what the frustration, no matter what the irritation. Secondly, God's plan takes time. We want it done right now, right here. Fix it. Man, I tell you, it doesn't work that way. Rarely does it work that way. It takes time. Why? Because God moves us along at the pace that we need him to move us along in our spiritual growth. He doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't force us into change. He transforms our lives as we spend time with him, as we seek him, as we pray, as we start making decisions, as he wants us to make decisions. From Esther chapter 1 to Esther Esther chapter 3 is seven years. Seven years. Seven years. I will be older in seven years. But is it worth it? Is it worth it to let God work in your life for seven years if you know that the end result is you being more spiritually mature and people coming to Christ because of it? It's worth it. I guess I'll answer that for you. And the last one is this. So what do we do? Do the next Right thing. They call it a step of faith. I know people talk about a leap of faith. God's just asking us to take a step of faith. The next right thing. The next right thing. Be obedient to do what God's called you to do today. Let Him worry about the eternal plan that He's working out over time through your life, even through the decisions of people who don't even know him, that might be causing you issues. Logan.